Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Sarah Batu. Uh, she's the director of the radiobiology unit at the Belgian Nuclear Research Center in Belgium. Uh, she's also a guest professor at Ghent University. And we're going to talk about space exploration and uh, protecting astronauts from space radiation, I believe. So, Sarah, thanks for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Well, tell me about your work uh, in regards to space and uh, in regards to radiobiology. What, what have you been studying? Okay, so uh, so as you mentioned, I'm I'm a radiobiologist or radiation biologist, and uh, I'm investigating the the impact of uh, radiation, ionizing radiation on health, uh, for uh, in order to to understand well, how we can uh, take advantage of radiation, how we can improve radiotherapy treatment, develop uh, new radiopharmaceuticals, and predict better the risks. Uh, induced by radiation, by exposure to radiation uh, um, in each individuals. So that can be mm. patients, but it can also be uh, astronauts. No, that's excellent. Just living on Earth, what kind of uh, radiation are people exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis? On a daily basis, uh, the dose of radiation that reaches uh, the Earth is is, uh, is is quite small. is is very minimal, uh, with no no impact on on health. Because on Earth we are really cocooned and and very well protected uh, by our mag magnetic field, magnetic field, and and by our atmosphere. So that helps us uh, also to uh, to not get exposed to radiation. But the situation is very different uh, in medical exposure. After medical exposure, if you want to treat a patient with radiation and kill cancer cells, then you need, uh, of course, much higher doses that you uh, can give in, uh, in the medical context. And in space, on the ISS, on the International Space Station, astronauts are exposed to uh, much higher doses because the dose of radiation increases with altitude so the higher and uh, the higher you are the higher dose of radiation and uh, so on the ISS on the International Space Station you have doses that are about 150 to 200 times higher than what we encounter on earth oh and wow yes so so it's it's much higher and it's it's even worse if we think about uh, the future scenario that we are preparing which are going to to the moon, going back to the moon, having a, a moon village there, there, and uh, and and later on going to to Mars. There, uh, the doses of irradiation will be even much higher, three hundred times, four hundred times higher, uh, going to the moon and 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 back, and and then even one thousand times higher going to Mars and, and back. So there is really a, a lot to do to prepare uh, astronauts uh, to face this. Well, uh, what, why is so when people went to the moon, you know, in '69. Was it just that they were exposed to much higher levels of radiation for, you know, the whole journey? Or is it that uh, in certain areas of space outside the Earth, it, it, the radiation goes up tremendously? They were exposed to, uh, of course, uh, higher doses of radiation than, than we have uh, on Earth before a very limited uh, amount of, of days because they only went for a few days and then came back. Even if 
some of them uh, performed what we call uh, extravehicular activities. Extra extravehicular activities is when they, they went outside the space vehicle or went on the moon, on the moon surface to take some samples and take some pictures. And so so they there they were a lot uh, less protected by because they only had their a spacesuit as the as only protection. So, but the dose that uh, they they received was for a short uh, period of times, which was not uh, not such an issue. The future um, human space exploration exploration uh, program, um, which is an an international program uh, where NASA is involved, in which NASA is involved as well as well as the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency and the Russians. The the idea is really to to go back to the moon and stay there for quite a certain number of months. Uh, which means that uh, that you have not only the, the mission, the traveling to there, to to the moon, but also staying there with uh, with the protection that you can get from the settlement there, the protection from the habitat, and uh, and from the spacesuit. Um, what about uh, an intermediate step of flying in a plane? How much radiation would would someone be exposed to versus being on the ground on Earth? Yes. So, so uh, indeed, pilots and and uh, and crew, uh, air crews, uh, uh, receive, of course, uh, uh, higher doses of radiation. Certainly, when they uh, when they fly, for example, uh, above the Atlantic at a, at a very very high altitude, the dose of radiation is is a little bit higher. Uh, but still, it's like uh, the dose of a radiography, a dental radiography, which is pretty small. Uh, pretty low dose uh, of radiation. So one trip, I would say, uh, one trip over the Atlantic is uh, is uh, not harmful, but uh, crew uh, air crews are, are really monitored. So they have what we call a, a dosimeter, um, and this dosimeter record the dose of radiation that they are exposed to, and so they are only entitled to a certain dose per month because they are their uh, work in their job. So it's considered as an occupational exposure to radiation, and so this is uh, uh, regulated. They are loose uh, in terms of the number of dose that you can get, and so they have a program specific program of exposure, and they can't go over this type of uh, and a certain level of exposure of radiation. But it would be much more uh, to, to go to the moon. We are really talking uh, factors of, of two, three times, two, three hundred times uh, higher doses and for a longer period of time. So in that way, uh, it's very important to protect the astronauts so to develop programs uh, first uh, physically to, to develop the best shielding, uh, radiation shielding that we can uh, imagine uh, and test. Uh, in order to to make sure that uh, that they are sufficiently protected, and then uh, humanly, in terms of the, what we can do at the level of the human body, there are different ways or um, using some type of radiation protector protectants. So these are type of molecules that will be able to uh, stop uh, somehow the damage induced induced by by uh, cosmic radiation and will will boost the way uh, the cells are repairing the DNA damage uh, so that will induce a, a better repair, uh, less damage. And uh, you can also do different types of uh, studies that we are performing for the moment uh, on the International Space Station. And these are studies in order to understand what... Um, what is the sensitivity of each astronaut? So for that, we we uh, we get the sam samples, blood samples from astronauts before they leave uh, to the space station, and when they come back, and and we study how their machinery, their DNA repair machinery, function 
if it functions better uh, or, or less well, and what we can do when we have uh, analyzed, because biologists, of course, uh, want to understand. Well, well what, what does that mean, the DNA repairability? How do you quantify that? So basically, um, the type of radiation that, that astronauts are ex exposed to is, is uh, quite uh, uh, mixed. It's not just one type of, of radiation because yeah, on the ISS, you, you have uh, solar wind, uh, which are uh, electrons and protons and alpha particles. It's a very mixed uh, exposure. And uh, you have also high energy protons coming from the, the solar particle events that can come, which, which is very intermittent. It's not all continuous. Um, and you have then the galactic uh, cosmic radiation, which are uh, high energy protons and alpha particles. And so this mixture of, of radiation that you have in, in space will induce uh, what we call very highly, highly complex DNA damage. And this uh, complex DNA damage means that um, the DNA is, is broken, uh, will be broken in different places and quite close to each other because, in fact, that this type of irradiation will induce uh, along the track of irradiation quite a lot of, uh, really a lot of concentrated damage in the DNA. And this, uh, we know that uh, uh, for the cells to, to repair this DNA, so because this, uh, uh, this radiation are very dense and they, they really ionize along the track in the DNA and they cause unique damage. Um, to all the biomolecules, the cells and the tissues that they will encounter uh, in the human body. And so our work is, is really to understand what is the distinct pattern of this DNA uh, damage and what is the profile of, of the oxidation, because basically this DNA damage is, is a kind of oxidation, a very corrosive way of attacking the, the DNA. And is our body going to be able to repair at the same speed? So that's why we, we study these astronauts and, and uh, we, we study how uh, powerful, how efficient uh, their uh, system is and uh, in, their, in their blood, because the blood is, is quite sensitive to radiation. In fact, the immune system in general, uh, there are quite different parts of the human body that are sensitive to radiation and to space conditions that make, in fact, the, the astronauts weaker in terms of, uh, of uh, health status in general. Well, all right, how do you quantify this? You know, how much weaker, uh, how do you know when... Yes. Okay. Based so, on a given amount of radiation, does it go by yeah. body weight? Like, how do you know what's going to happen to somebody? So, so you can measure different types of, of parameters. So, if you look, for example, at uh, the impact of uh, of uh, space conditions uh, at the level of the immune system, so you you collect blood and you measure uh, different types of proteins. So, in our genome, when the genome is attacked, so when it, it's hit by uh, radiation, it will spontaneously want to start to repair the DNA damage. This is a very natural way of the cell. And for that, because our uh, DNA is extremely condensed, so it's very condensed, to let this repair take place, the, the cells and the DNA needs to uh, decondense and to open up um, in order to let the, the proteins, the repair proteins, to start to repair any type of DNA damage. So it can be big breakage, it can be a, a double strain break, which is like the two uh, strand of DNA uh, being broken. 
uh, or a single strain break or a base damage or a, a very small damage or, or even bigger damage or a, a whole chromosome which is cut. So they are they, they can be massive damage. And so you, you measure different types of proteins that are the, the, the ones that are kind of firemen uh, within the cells that are going to uh, stick to the DNA where it's damaged. And you can quantify that. You can use, for example, an, an antibody that will uh, stick to the, every places where the DNA has been damaged. But you can also measure uh, the full genome and the full uh, transcriptomics, so the gene expression of the cells, and, and then come up with something which is much more precise, which is uh, an ID of the gene of the concomitant uh, gene expression of about 20,000, 30,000 genes at the same time. And there you get a very precise idea of how each body, how each astronaut is, is reacting towards radiation. And with that, you can determine the radiation sensitivity of the astronauts. And this is very important uh, for uh, the future mission to, to the Moon and to Mars. Why? Because you, uh, through this specific radiation sensitivity of the astronauts, because in fact, um, when you look and uh, when when we are facing uh, radiation, we are not all equal. Some of us will be very radiation sensitive. Some others will be very resistant towards radiation. And we see that in patients and it's the same in, in astronauts. So some of them are more sensitive than others towards radiation. So it means that they will repair. Uh, well, what, what does that mean, sensitive? Like, how do you know how sensitive someone is? I, I thought the radiation takes quite a long time to show up in terms of yes. ill effects. Like, how do you quantify this? You, you, you are totally right. So you can have some impacts that come years after exposure to radiation, but you can also monitor impact uh, just after exposure and, and see uh, what is the, the, the concentration uh, and the amount of these uh, DNA repair proteins, how efficient are they, uh, how active they are. Uh, so all that will play a role in this radiation sensitivity. Uh, but also it depends on the on our genetic background. So each each one each of us has got a certain uh, pattern of of mutations that we have uh, um, that we receive from our ancestors, and and on top of that we have uh, the changes that occurred uh, from birth onwards. So all the epigenetic changes that uh, has taken place and that will stimulate uh, boost some some. Uh, gene expression or inhibit some other gene expression. So all that will play a role in the generic uh, individual susceptibility of each astronaut. And, and knowing that in advance, before the astronauts fly, is would be very interesting uh, because you can then develop what we call precision medicine. Precision medicine of astronauts in order to um, this determine for them what would be the best program uh, for radiation, radiation exposure, taking into account their specific sensitivity to radiation. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And what, what have you learned from um, medical radiation that people get, you know, here on Earth? Like what kind of uh, treatments where people get, you know, radionuclides and, you know, what's some of the interesting uh, fa facts about that? Some some very interesting and, and surprising insight is first how complex things are in a way that uh, not only we we have in our genome we, we have of course tens of thousands of of, of genes that are uh, that are each kind of playing a certain role um, but also radiation has got a, a different impact on different cells in different tissues 
So, so you have parts of the body that are, that are quite sensitive to radiation. For example, if you look at, at uh, the lens, um, through exposure to radiation, you, you might have an, an induced risk of, of developing lens opacity that we also call uh, cataract. So this is one of the tissue which is quite sensitive to radiation. But there are other tissues, uh, like for example, the cardiovascular uh, system. Some of the cardiovascular cells are sensitive. The immune cells, lymphocytes are sensitive. Uh, the reproductive system is very sensitive to radiation. So all these um, systems will be, uh, uh, should be certainly better protected but what is also interesting is that um, so the genes are expressed differently and respond differently in the different tissues. They also respond differently depending on the type uh, of uh, uh, radiation. But it's possible. What is really interesting that what we have uh, been developing is uh, is possible to develop biomarkers and biomarkers really of radiation response um, that can predict that really goes towards precision medicine for patients uh, that we can really implement into the clinics uh, through the use of blood, but also what we have uh, uh, developed and what we are developing, currently developing, um, is through the use of saliva. So with a non-invasive material, uh, biological fluid, we can uh, determine the exposed uh, dose uh, and determine the risk uh, for the patient. And that can have uh, an important impact on the radiotherapy treatment. So radiotherapy treatment is at the day of today, usually the same type of radiation treatment uh, depending on the type of cancer, for example. So you will get a certain number of fractions of radiation for a certain number of days, uh, depending on the type of cancer. How much of the effects um, on the targeted cells versus the rest of the cells, in the person's whole system, how is that quantified? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's quantified clinically. It's quantified by by the fact that healthy cells uh, around the, the tumor will repair much faster when they are irradiated than than cancer cells. So this is really one important fact that basically will will help to kill the cells. Also, radiation that it's given. Uh, through external radiation, like conventional radiotherapy that is used, like this, uh, will be targeting uh, the tumor. So you give a very high dose at the level of the tumor, and you spare the healthy tissue around. So the dose around is is, uh, is supposed to be much less, but sometimes you get still a certain number of dose, a certain level of dose uh, on these uh, on the surrounding tissue. And it's important to basically understand what is the impact on the healthy tissue, how we can protect this healthy tissue, developing radioprotectants, but also protocols, radiotherapy protocols, in order to target better. So there are different ways. For example, we learned and we discovered that we can, uh, by using photons uh, or using not the conventional radiotherapy, but using carbons, uh, carbon ions, you can really kill much better tumor cells and you spare the healthy tissue also uh, uh, much better. And uh, not only that you kill better uh, the tumor cells, but you, you inhibit totally their, uh, the risk of uh, tumor cells to develop metastasis. We managed to show basically that, that uh, uh, carbon ions uh, that we use for hadron therapy can really help to decrease the risk of metastasis and really induce much higher uh, effect on, on, on cell uh, killing. 
And we are also uh, developing uh, now more and more radiopharmaceuticals, which are uh, a combination of uh, radionuclides, so radioactive molecules, coupled with a, a vector, a, a kind of a linker, and which is attached to, to a certain type of uh, biomarker, a, a, a type of molecule that will target and that will attach uh, specifically to the cancer cells. And there we see that we really also uh, improve the treatment and also target not only the primary tumor, the primary uh, cancer, but also any type of uh, metastasis that uh, we would, would have uh, in the body that would not have would not have been detected. Can you shield someone when they're getting radiation? I guess if it's pinpoint radiation, that's one way, but if they're taking a radioactive pill, I guess there is no shielding at that point, right? Indeed. So there you have, uh, indeed, and then you need to have a, a radionuclide, a radiopharmaceutical, which is very specific to the tumor you want to uh, to target and that it's not, uh, that it doesn't start to spread in the whole body and start to stick uh, at different tissues and healthy tissue that you don't want it uh, to stick to. So it needs to be, you for that, you need to, uh, to really work on the best um, molecules first, which is very specific to the tumor that you want to uh, to target and to uh, to treat, and uh, uh, but indeed there are studies that that we are taking that are taking places and that we are performing in order to make sure that uh, that the dose will reach the the tumor will not start to spread in the rest uh, of the body, and that those which is the the radionuclide which is not absorbed will be directly elimin eliminated. Uh, through the, the kidney and, and then in the urine. So you need, uh, but you need to make sure that uh, you don't have an aspecific uh, targeting. And this is very important. Uh, but for the moment, I would say uh, uh, that it's uh, really having a boost uh, to develop new radiopharmaceuticals because it's important to go in different ways and going towards uh, external radiotherapy treatment with conventional radiotherapy, even improving those improving uh, personalized medicine uh, for those patients, but also developing a new radiopharmaceuticals to treat cancer that we are not able to treat at or treat well at the day of today. So there is really a, a really beautiful future for that uh, as well. And all this research is really going hand in hand with space research, because basically everything we, we understand from space, type of radiation, the mixture of radiation, and the harmful effects of space radiation is very interesting in terms of research because it helps us to take out these characteristics, these harmful characteristics, and to implement them in the clinics and to improve our radiotherapy protocol. So there is really uh, a win-win uh, doing performing space radiation and, and improving radiotherapy treatment because they go uh, somehow hand-in-hand hand, uh, and they they kind of the back technologies uh, and the type of radiobiology is uh, is quite similar for both uh, disciplines. So, what what's some common shielding used for um, you know radiation externally? So, if you are on Earth, you you can uh, you can use lead, and which is uh, which is the common uh, lead jacket, uh, which is the common protection that you would use in uh, in hospitals in the clinics. But uh, lead is very heavy. So um, every kilo and every kilo uh, to go to the moon and to bring to take on board uh, on the space uh, on the spaceship would be uh, extremely extremely expensive. So we are looking at other possibilities and other ways. And uh, 
Um, there, for space, we are really looking at uh, very small uh, atoms uh, like hydrogen or um, helium, uh, very small atoms, the smallest atom or boron, uh, and those are very good protectants. So you can imagine, for example, uh, a shielding jacket uh, that are that are uh, made of uh, polyethylene. Uh, polyethylene is a is a long molecule of carbon with a lot of hydrogen on each side of the carbon. Uh, you have a lot of hydrogen, and this hydrogen could can really protect uh, against uh, space radiation. Water is also a, a very good protectant. So if you look uh, at the day of today on on the International Space Station, you have uh, three parts of the space station, space station that are very well protected, where astronauts can reach and can go uh, very quickly in case of a, a solar flare, uh, because in case of a solar flare, uh, they have a, a few minutes uh, to reach one of these three protected areas. And one is the, the water is next to the water tank, um, so where the water supply uh, is uh, is stored. And uh, the two other places, one is in uh, the lab and one is in uh, is the sleep uh, place, the sleep uh, compartment, uh, where basically uh, they have they are protected with this polyethylene um, as well as in the lab. So these this is for the moment what is used uh, on board of the ISS. And uh, for the future mission to the moon, right now we have uh, polyethylene. The, there is a jacket. The jacket uh, uh, for the next missions would be in polyethylene. Uh, but there are other components, and, and amongst the studies that we are performing, we are also studying the spacesuit. How can we uh, make the spacesuit the most radiation uh, resistant, but also to have some kind of detectors, uh, detectors that can monitor uh, radiation dose uh, uh, in an active way, so continuously, and give a certain alarm in the case of of a of a certain of a of reaching a certain threshold of radiation dose, and so we are studying different types of uh, of components and molecules that would uh, uh, protect the astronauts the best uh, inside the spacesuit. Well, what new materials do you think will take the place of lead? What's your guess? Oh, there are there are different types of material. There is a lot of research uh, performed uh, on a small, really small molecule with uh, hydrogen, with uh, with helium, a lot on on boron and a lot on polyethylene as well. Uh, for the moment, this is uh, what is uh, taking place. But I think what we are also currently developing is now is, is tr trying to, 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 to have a biomarker chip. So to really have a chip uh, that could uh, give an ID uh, very quickly for the patients, but also for astronauts in the future on, on the type of those, but certainly also the type of uh, damage that they are encountering uh, inside their body. And that's really, that's really important, uh, certainly in the clinic, because it would help to stratify patients, to stratify and to fine-tune and to uh, adapt the treatment uh, for these uh, patients. I think, uh, to me also, uh, what is uh, really the future is coming also from the theranostics. So these are radiopharmaceuticals for which you could do and that you could use and for diagnostic and for treatment. So that would be very helpful to be able to do and uh, to diagnose the disease and to treat at the same time. So there is really a lot uh, going on for the moment in that. And, and, and then uh, for human space exploration, to the future is really also developing the best uh, medical kit so the the and the best technologies for uh, diagnostic uh, of all type of diseases that could be encountered by the astronauts in space and to be able to treat 
in space on board uh, because a mission to to Mars uh, and back would 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 last for a few years. Uh, we speak about two and a half, three years with the technologies of today, with not not possibility to to come back. So uh, we really need to take on board. Uh, 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 everything we can think of. So developing the tools, the technologies, the pharmaca um, uh, for uh, preventing and treating uh, any type of disease that could be uh, encountered. So if you look at um, the space journey in terms of like number of days of travel, what's the current upper limit of safety because of the radiation? So for the moment, we are really, uh, there are a lot of discussions uh, between the different international space agencies. Uh, so uh, uh, NASA and European Space Agency, as well as the Japanese, the Canadian, the Russian, in order to really decide uh, internationally what would be the limit. Um, and because for the moment, each space agency has got different types of uh, limits that, uh, that uh, and threshold that they would uh, tolerate uh, in terms of a, a whole exposure during your whole career as an astronaut. And uh, but this endeavor to go to the back to the moon and going back uh, and going to to Mars, it's really an international endeavor uh, with astronauts from from different countries and different uh, space agencies. So there is really a need to find and to harmonize uh, the threshold that we will tolerate for this long mission. For the moment, even if we are uh, uh, even if an astronaut stays a few uh, months uh, uh, in uh, on the ISS, on the International Space uh, Station, the dose that is reached is still okay, is still under the level uh, and the threshold limit that is uh, acceptable. But when uh, going to the moon, staying on the moon for a few months or going to Mars, uh, this threshold has got to be rediscussed and maybe revised. So this is taking place for the moment between the different uh, international uh, space agencies. And I guess it's, you know, you can shield someone inside of a uh, of a ship but like you said if they go outside the ship to do a repair or whatever they do then the radiation gets tremendously higher right exactly so it, it gets uh, much much higher but what we are preparing is when going back to the moon uh, it will be not just one extravehicular activity it will not be just one time outside but it will we speak about going about 70 times outside the moon village and then go, going for sampling, for exploration on the surface of the moon. So uh, it means 70 times going outside, which much higher dose of radiation uh, with a mixture of, of exposure and mixture of radiation, uh, which are difficult for the body uh, to repair. So uh, the risk will be much higher um, going outside and uh, and on these extravehicular activities. And so therefore there is really a need for yeah, more research on the shielding in the space habitat, but also on the spacesuit uh, concomitantly and in parallel. So, um, how far away are any of these innovations? Do you think? I mean, when, when do they? When are they needed? Like, when? Uh, when are people planning to go back to the moon and spend any significant time there, or even go back? Period. You know. For the moment, the planning is is, is that humans would go back uh, to to the moon, really on the moon uh, from twenty thirty. I think uh, end of uh, 2020, start of 2030s is what is in the mind now and what is uh, foreseen. And then maybe 
five to ten years later to go to Mars. So technologies are being developed at a, at a very high speed. So uh, technologies, not all technologies are developed, but uh, quite uh, some are already available on Earth, but would need to be miniaturized, would need to be uh, simplified to be able to, to, to work in space. And also they need to be adapted for working in, uh, in microgravity. So where everything is floating. So when you have, if you have liquid inside a, an equipment, a machine, so then you, you yeah, this liquid uh, can be a, can become a hazard uh, because it can start to float and, and leak. So you you need to every machine needs to be uh, adapted uh, to be able to be used in space conditions. But research is going uh, quite fast and quite well, and uh, with a lot of collaboration uh, at the international level. Uh, so I think we can reach this uh, this target of uh, for going to the moon. Well, very good, Sarah. What's the best way for people to find out more information about? your work I think the, the the first place where I would go is our website. Uh, we have a, a, a very good website, sckcn.be, where you have quite a, a lot of information. Then um, I would we are also quite quite active on the social media, so I, I would just uh, go on Twitter and and LinkedIn and, and Facebook if you are interested. Um, also, we publish quite a lot of review articles on on these thematics that are quite understandable, we think, for everyone, and they are uh, open. They are they have an open access. Maybe another way also is to 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 follow a TEDx conference that I gave uh, not such a long time ago. But I think also for for anyone interested interested in this kind of topic, uh, uh, just uh, listen or read to general media related to sciences and uh, to to uh, medicine, uh, to radiotherapy. There, there are really a lot of uh, information that you can find on on general websites. And 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 I'm sure with with also uh, what you are doing, uh, your type of podcast that, that that's really helpful as as well to reach a, a, a big audience and for everyone to understand better science and and medicine. Well, very good. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.